The scripture reading is from Isaiah 58, verses 6 through to 12. Isaiah 58. Passage that uh, clearly demonstrates the diaconal calling of God's people as a whole in the Old Testament. Verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into the house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth. And your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Would you then turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 5, a uh, passage that also deals with that uh, diaconal calling and responsibility that we all have. I'll read from Hebrews 5, verse 11, through to chapter 6, verse 12. The text is verses 9 to 12 in chapter 6, and it's especially... That uh, in verse 10, that word ministered that um, has that diaconal idea. It's a, a word that means, uh, de- well, it's a part of the deacon word group. We could uh, say it means to, to deacon. So I'll read from chapter 5, verse 11 for the context. It was talking about Melchizedek and then goes on to say, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do, if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit 
and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Or ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Now a text. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realise the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, will you... Again, minister to us by your word and spirit, so as to give us that uh, courage of which we sang a little while ago, the courage to obey you, even in the face of ridicule and opposition, the courage to resist sin, to acknowledge it and confess it and fight it and turn away from it in our own lives as well as around us, and the courage also to serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, uh, many of our churches, we we often talk about these things in presbytery, uh, many of our churches are finding it difficult, increasingly difficult it seems, to find men who are willing to serve in office, uh, either as elder or deacon. And there are various reasons for that, no doubt, and the reasons and explanations given by those who don't wish to serve Uh, They can also vary, and sometimes they may be legitimate, and sometimes it seems to be less convincing, and I don't want to uh, judge those particular um, explanations and reasons that people give. I mention some of them without saying uh, anything about the legitimacy or, or otherwise, but just to give some idea of the kind of things that sometimes stop people from uh, being willing to serve. Uh, Sometimes it's weariness. Maybe someone who has served many, many times in different things in the life of the church and they're feeling wearied by years of doing that, of going from one service in one area to another and then another and uh, feeling that they have no opportunity to catch their breath. So that can be one reason. Another one can be health issues. And another one sometimes uh, commitments, prior commitments in family life, in work life and, and so on. So as I say, I don't want to comment on whether reasons given are legitimate or not, but uh, the reason I do mention this is so that we can emphasise, and I want to make, uh, look at this positively, why it is that men in the church ought to be aspiring to the office, at least that, at least aspiring to the office, both of elder and of deacon. And not only those who might serve in office, but why all of us 
as holders of the threefold office of believer, all of us ought to be aspiring to minister in the life of the church. Using that word there that's in this text, uh, all of us aspiring to deacon, to act as deacons, not in the office of deacon, but to act in that diaconal way as we seek to serve one another. And there are three reasons in this text that uh, seek to encourage us to aspire in that way. The first of those is to avoid being sluggish. The second is to imitate those who inherit the promise. And the third is to receive a gracious reward. To avoid being sluggish, to imitate those who inherit the promise and to receive a gracious reward. In the first place then, when I speak about uh, avoiding being sluggish, once again I, I hasten to head. I'm not suggesting by that or trying to suggest that uh, the men in our congregation are sluggish, that they are lazy. That's not the point of this, but rather I'm connecting this uh, to comment on how this fits in the context uh, from uh, chapter 5, 11 through to 6, verse 8, that context that helps us to understand what's said in verse 9 in our text. And in that previous section, the writer was admonishing the Hebrews, the Hebrew church. He was admonishing them for being spiritual infants. Those who were stuck on milk rather than moving on from milk to more solid food, the solid food of God's word, which is a necessary part of maturing in the Christian faith, as is explained in verses 511 through to 6 verse 3. Having addressed that issue, the writer then goes on to speak about those who in some sense have known the truth, but then have later fallen away. Chapter 6, verses 4 through to 8. Uh, those who are therefore not producing any good vegetation, they're not producing any useful fruit, but all they're producing, as far as the Lord is concerned, is worthless thorns and thistles. And so here in context... We're dealing with two categories of people who are or have been in the church, but who are not producing the fruit that one would expect. One group, because they are remaining immature, immature Christians, satisfied with an easy approach to the Christian life, and uh, I sometimes I think I've used this term before, but um, I sometimes put it this way, that the, uh, what they're looking for in church life is what I call church light. Uh, minimal involvement, minimal effort, an easy approach to church life. You come along to a service or two on Sunday and then that's more or less it as far as involvement's concerned. Church light. That's one group. And the other group, not producing that fruit because they've fallen away. One group that are not serving effectively in the church, not serving as effectively as they could be and should be, and the other that can't serve at all because they've fallen away from the Lord. Having rebuked the Hebrew church for having too many in that immature category, the writer there then goes on to give his encouragement in verse 9. And he does that by saying, first of all, that we're convinced of better things concerning you. In other words, he's saying you're not all in the category, you're not in the category of those who have fallen away. 
And you are people who can move on, Lord willing, from milk to meat if you apply yourselves to the task with God's help. For the bearing of fruit, including service and ministry to others in the church, the things that accompany salvation, not things that earn salvation, but things that accompany salvation, that follow from being saved. Since the members of the Hebrew church are God's people, they are among the saved, and therefore it can be expected that they will display the things that accompany salvation. This is in effect an encouragement to the Hebrew church to make sure that they indeed do not end up in either of these two groups, either those who fall away or the sluggish in verse 12. It's an encouragement for them not to end up in those two groups, but to be part of the better things group. How do they do so? Obviously by applying themselves to God's word. That was made clear in the context. But the other way of doing that for those who do apply themselves to God's word, but also then seek to be actively involved in the life of the church in ministering to others and being ministered to as well. And the writer uh, says to them that this is something that they, they have been doing. Many of them have been doing that. They were doing it and they're still doing it, he says. Deaconing, that's that word that's used there, ministering or deaconing. They have been deaconing to others. And that includes all types of service, that idea of deaconing. All types of service to the saints and to others, both by the deacons, by the office bearers, the elders as well, and also by other members of the congregation who hold only the threefold office, the threefold office of believer, but they too are able to participate in that deaconing. The writer wants each one of them, and this is the thing, there are people who are doing that. They've all been doing it to some extent, perhaps. But the writer wants each one of them, verse 11, not to show sluggishness, but to show diligence. The same diligence. The same level of diligence. The whole, imagine that, the whole congregation uh, showing that same level of diligence. And that word diligence here is a word that means zeal and earnestness. And literally it means someone who is hurrying to do something. It, what would it be like if every man in the congregation was hurrying to serve as a deacon and an elder, if God should call him? And every man and woman in the church that could serve on the committee of administration, or cadets and gems leaders, if everyone was hurrying to do that, uh, so that the session had trouble uh, making a choice, rather than trouble finding people to do these things. And that's the way it really should be. And the reason for that is that such service demonstrates the willingness to serve, demonstrates our love of God's name, verse 10. And we ought to love his name so much that we are eager to serve, that we are eager to honour the Lord in that way by ministering in the church that the Lord Jesus Christ established by his work on the cross and his work also in his life. Service to others is also, in addition to that, a way in which we can benefit ourselves, Lord willing, 
by growing in the knowledge of God and his word in a practical way. Rather than just being theoretical Christians, that we put what we learn from God's word, what we learn about ministry, about ministering to others, that we put that into practice. And in that practical way of service, we actually learn more of what the scripture means when it teaches about these things. Think of it as a kind of internship. You were perhaps a, or a vicariate, uh, as with a, a man who's training for the ministry. So he's learned all the theory, and that is a type of learning that's necessary and important, but he also then gets the hands-on experience and then grows and learns in that practical way as well because wisdom in the scripture is a matter both of the knowledge but also the practical application. Members in our church and uh, office bearers as well, an office bearer serving on in session work in that office, in carrying out those duties, you stand to learn and grow a lot from doing that. But likewise, for members who have that experience of serving or ministering to their brethren in church life, uh, in those various things that are available that I mentioned, uh, cadets and gems, committee administration, and so forth, we all learn to, to stand to learn a lot through those practical experiences. The second reason the writer gives us to encourage us all in this deaconing is that it is a matter of imitating those who have inherited the promises. Verse 12. And the writer is going to go on and cite Abraham from verse 13 forward as an example of that. Abraham believed God. He hoped in the covenant promises. He waited patiently for those promises to be fulfilled, for that hope to be realised. And no doubt other examples could be given uh, of service to God that was rendered with patience and hope, for example, by the apostles, and a service that was rendered in that way, often despite considerable struggle and hardship. But those men trusted in the Lord's promises and they maintained, or God maintained in them, that certain hope. They loved the Lord, they loved his people, and therefore they were willing to serve God and his people, whatever the personal cost. Now, whenever human examples are put forward, uh, we need to be a little bit careful about this. We need to realise that they are not cited as perfect examples. Abraham waited patiently, as the scripture says, and he did, except when he didn't. And the scripture also shows that. The apostles, the great work that they did by God's grace, nevertheless they were sinful men as the apostle himself, the apostle Paul himself describes at length in Romans 7. And exactly the same true, same is true of elders and deacons today. And it's easy to, you know, to point the finger and uh, find those various things and point out those various things where, they, where we fall down to. But the value in human examples is this. It is not in their greatness and it is not in their consistency because they are not great or consistent. But rather it is in the evidence they give of God's greatness and consistency. In the fact that God, that the Lord Jesus can use sinners to serve despite their weakness and sin and even show his own greatness and glory and wisdom by the fact that he can accomplish such great things using such jars of clay. 
And you can think in that, in that connection of the list of heroes in Hebrews 11, heroes of the faith as they're sometimes called. Well, actually, if you read all the details of their lives in the Old Testament, you find that they're more in many ways like anti-heroes than they are like heroes. But what is heroic about it is what the Lord Jesus Christ does through them, using them despite their anti-heroism. And he does accomplish great things. No one, of course, trusted the Father more. No one was more patient in suffering. And no one underwent such infinitely great suffering as the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, the sense in which we are to imitate godly men is this, that we imitate them as looking not to them, but looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and striving to imitate him. And the reason I draw attention to this is because serving in office and serving in anything in church life can, can surely try your patience and even your faith at times. Constant criticism... Uh, whether it's in uh, one area of church life or another. It's not only office bearers who get criticism. Uh, it's all these other organisations and duties that are carried out. You put a foot wrong and there can be criticism. Very often it's done without thanks or acknowledgement being given. And then, of course, you've got the struggle to balance that, those works in church life with family life and with work life as well as doing all the requirements of the things in the church. It is no wonder that the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Fear of these things, fear of the stresses and strains, sometimes keeps people from serving. And the experience of these things often leads those who are serving to a kind of burnout, a kind of church burnout. That uh, is why I suggest that, um, is why the uh, writer of Hebrews uh, also uh, makes this point that we inherit the promises through faith and patience, verse 12. And he goes on to mention patience again, in verse 15, when he talks about Abraham waiting patiently. Because without faith and patience, we may uh, incline toward either sluggishness in serving God, we lose our zeal for it, we lose our zeal for helping his people, or we even try to avoid as much of the work as we possibly can. But we are to imitate those who, despite the weaknesses, despite the burdens, Despite the fears, despite the struggles, they looked to the Lord Jesus Christ and through him they were able to maintain that diligence and they were able to maintain that patience and they were able to keep on deaconing, they were able to keep on serving a service that itself does indeed require patience. And they kept on doing that until they felt it came to the fullness of those promises. This is, of course, no guarantee that it will be easy. Nor does it argue for the church burdening its members with inappropriate or unrealistic expectations. For example, if you would ever be told uh, that you ought to ignore your family and ignore your work 
because nothing is important except the church. Well, we know that God has given us responsibilities in different spheres and all the things he calls us to are important things. And uh, so we need to strive for a balance in those things. To be sure the Lord does give strength, he does give patience, he does give perseverance, but he also calls for wisdom. And a wise servant recognises his limitations and seeks to pace himself, being a good steward of his time and of his energy, so that he can do each task that God has called him to effectively, as effectively as he can. So I'm arguing here for zealous hearts that are willing to expend themselves and willing to do so sacrificially, but that coupled with a good and wise stewardship with patience. Well, since we are to be imitators of those who inherit the promises, there is in the third place an encouragement to service from the knowledge that we will receive a gracious reward at the end. In verse 10, the writer says that God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown both him and the saints. And uh, this is an interesting argument, considering that the Lord Jesus said in Luke 17 verse 10, that even if we do everything that's commanded, we should still say of ourselves that we are unworthy slaves who have done only that which we ought to have done. And it is vital for our humility that we look at our work in that light. So God's justice does not require him to give us the reward that he does give as if we deserved it or on the ground that we deserved it and would not be required to do so even if we obeyed perfectly, which we don't. And yet there is no contradiction here between what our text says and Luke 17. Luke 17 verse 10 reminds us that we never earn a reward for service. But the reward is won for us by the Lord Jesus. It is won for us by his perfect service, imputed to us and counted as ours. And on top of that, by his covering of all the many flaws in our service. And God is not unjust so as to forget his own son's work. And therefore, he is not going to forget your service. That is to say, for Christ's sake, he is not going to forget your service. That which is done in and through the Lord Jesus and in his merits. And you see, that is why verses 11 and 12 can speak of realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, when we too will inherit the promise because of the Lord Jesus, whose merits are counted as ours, without whom there would be no assurance for us whatsoever, let alone the full assurance that is mentioned here. Full assurance because it's grounded in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. This then is the great encouragement to serve God and your brethren in the life of the church. To do so in the face of a fear that if we agree to serve in this or that particular way, it is going to be too wearying for us or there are going to be too many criticisms or whatever else. This is the encouragement, if you are already serving, to keep on serving. 
even when you feel that uh, things are getting too, too tough, too difficult. And this is the encouragement to diligence and to perseverance and to patience, which are attitudes that the Lord surely deserves in the attitude we have towards his calling. And this is the attitude that he enables us to have as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and imitate him. And, of course, he's much more than an example. He also gives us the ability to do that. And this is the attitude that he then graciously rewards because of the work and merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would motivate us to be zealous to serve you, also by ministering to others in the church. Would you also grant us patience, and especially when the work is wearing or trying or we feel discouraged or we feel that uh, people are not uh, supporting us or they're too critical. Father, help us to, to act out of gratitude in this. Gratitude for the work of the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who both endured and also gave far more than we can understand in order to save us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Even the good things we have, the talents and abilities that we have are from God. They are to be used to serve him and to serve others. Hymn number 462, stanzas 1 to 4 and 6. We'll stand to sing. And would you please remain standing for the blessing and doxology. 462, stanzas 1 to 4 and 6.
after the blessing is our doxology. We sing again from the Psalter Hymnal number 301, stanza 4. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>